This podcast is brought to you by The Province. Listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome to Province Sports Radio Keyboard Kimura Edition. I'm Paul Chapman, and I'm joined by our MMA expert extraordinaire, Spencer Kite. Uh, how's your week going so far, Spence? It's going all right. Busy day today with a bunch of interviews. Uh, thanks to DK Books, I got a copy of. The new UFC a visual history in the mail yesterday, so an early Christmas, an early birthday present. Um, and we're actually going to be giving one away later in the show. So teaser, stay huh. tuned. We'll tell you how to enter the contest to win this book, which is phenomenal. Shout out to my man, Tom Gervasi, for putting it together. I know it was a, a labor of, of love and a lot of work, and, and it looks great. Fantastic. So um, let's jump right into it. As, as regular listeners know, there's two subjects that I try and wedge into every single podcast. <laughs> and one is the heavyweights, uh, anything heavyweight related. The other is, of course, John Jones, um, officially reinstated by the UFC. Not something we were... Uh, not something we were surprised by because we even addressed this last week um, once the legal issues were dealt with. But... You know, what's what's your vision for this? How do you see? Because, Spencer, for me, you have this asset that they know is troubled, but is also probably their biggest draw. Um, right. Maybe aside from Rousey. And now they have to have been thinking for months about how it's going to play out when it lands. Do you think this is still a wait and see? Or is it, let's get him a tune-up fight? Or is it, okay, DC, this is it. He's fighting for the title and we go from there because DC just asked for time off. I think they'll probably stick to their original idea of when John Jones returns. If he returns, he immediately fights for the title because he was stripped. He wasn't beaten. Um, I think you can still sort of <clears throat> accomplish both getting him a title fight right away with Daniel Cormier and giving DC the time off that he wants. Um, to me, it makes sense as the headlining fight at UFC 200 in July at the new arena in Las Vegas that apparently the UFC is is potentially interested in buying the naming rights to. Uh, which is crazy. So John Jones, Daniel Cormier, UFC 200 at UFC Arena would be uh, would be pretty pretty solid headline. And so for me, I think that's the direction they take. But I also think that they will be, and and they have to be, rightfully so, a little more sort of cautious with John. And and the leash is a lot tighter than it used to be. Um, when you're coming off the situation, he's coming off of being stripped and indefinitely suspended. And he's now had sort of three different legal situations or, or situations with the police that you look at or, or just different problems that have cropped up because the, the cocaine thing wasn't anything with the police. Um, you can't just let him go back to having free reign and, and, you know, sort of 
tussle his hair and tell him to go on, you little scamp. You have to, you have to be careful with this because he is, as you said, a massive star for them, a massive draw for them. But you can't just blindly back that guy because that's what's best for business. You have to protect yourself and and make sure that you're sort of holding him to a standard that you would hold everybody else to as well. Well, so do you think that they're going to give him a tune-up fight or he's reinstated now and is he going to have to wait, what's that, 10 months or I guess eight months until he fights? I think he'll wait. Um, I think if he was interested in a tune-up fight, we'd kind of, whenever we hear the first thing from John Jones, we'll hear him talk about it. But John doesn't strike me as that guy that is is worried about a year off deteriorating his skills and and him suddenly, you know, he needs to go out there and beat a an Ovint St. Pro or Jimmy Manua or somebody in that that sort of range in the division. He beat Daniel Cormier in January and and did so by winning the championship rounds, as he has done again with with Alex Gustafson as well. Um so I think he'll very much, and his manager, Malky Cow, has come out and said Daniel Cormier will not dictate the terms of the rematch. Um, I think that is the one, that's the fight that they will look at as a comeback, get my title that I never really lost in the first place, and sort of put a stamp on a year away, didn't change anything. I'm still the best fighter in this division, and arguably the best fighter in the entire sport. Well, you say you don't think he'd be concerned with having a year off. It'd actually be a year and a half. I mean, I know he's training and he will be training, but um, that's a long time to go (laughs) without fighting. And we have seen a number of other guys who have been in that situation too, where they come back, whether it's through injury or various other things, and they're like, you know, they admit when they get out, when they've come out of the ring, yeah, I was rusty. Um, Something about, again, obviously they've thought this out. They have plotted it up and down, but something to me in this whole thing seems a little off. Yeah. I mean, if, if it was me and I was the one advising John or it was, it was my decision, I would say take a tune up fight. I mean, I think we talked about it on a podcast earlier in the, earlier in the year. Like I think the idea of John Jones returning on a Fox show in a, basically a tune up fight coming back, getting an opportunity to sort of promote this, return of you know the the once in future king to steal from from benson henderson's twitter account um in a way that puts him in front of the most eyes possible you give him a chance to have that sit down mea culpa moment where he talks about the transgressions and what happens going forward for him you put him in there as i said against an Ovin saint pro or a jimmy manua or or somebody in that range hell even if patrick cummings beats glover Teixeira next weekend to give him Pat Cummings um, and let him get that victory. Let him shake some of that rust. And then you have the fight with DC after that. I think it's also going to sort of be contingent for the UFC about how quickly they want to get him back into the cage. I mean, obviously John and, and his camp will have something to say in that, but I think there's also a little bit for the UFC of like, perception of how quickly they we didn't see him reinstated right away they waited essentially a month before reinstating him i think they'll wait a little bit to to bring him back so that it doesn't look like they're just saying everything's okay john's back let's book him in a title fight right away so 
I think the possibility is there for a tune-up fight. I think his team, he and his team will look at it and just say, no, we're not fighting somebody that doesn't have the title. We, we want DC again, and that's what they'll push for. Well, yeah, I mean, they certainly have a lot more to lose. Uh, and, and not just John Jones camp, but the UFC in total, because that would be, it would, it's a showstopper to, to, when he comes back. Um, what, okay, let, so let's assume that, you know, whether he does have rust or doesn't, that it, what, where does he fit now in UFC? If he beats DC, um, and I'd like your thoughts on if you think that, you know, how that fight would go. <laughs> Uh, where, like what's left for him at light heavy this, what two years ago, this did look like a murderer's row. I mean, obviously there's going to be a rematch with, with Gustafson. Um, and he didn't get his fight against uh rumble, but you know, as he's now getting older, is there t- still a desire to have him move up to heavyweight? I don't know if there's still a desire and, and you and I have talked about it, that he doesn't have sort of that, that punching power that you look for in heavyweights that changes fights and, and, most guys in that division do, which changes the dynamic of a fight for John Jones in that division. I think there's still a little bit of, of work to be done now that he's been off and, and stripped of the belt. I think he does come back and beat Daniel Cormier whenever they fight. Um, though I do think it will be closer. I think it'll be more like the first two rounds of that fight than the last two rounds of that fight where DC admitted he kind of took took a little bit of a break thinking he could just turn it back on and, and John being John knows that that isn't what you do and you just press through and, and he is a sublime talent. I think the Gustafson fight helps Daniel Cormier in a future rematch with John Jones, because he knows he can take that kind of punishment and still press forward and still get the victory. Um, but at, at this point, I mean, it's crazy that we can talk about him being off for a year, a year and a half. He's still only 28 years old. Um, that's one of the benefits of winning the title when you're, you know, just a few months past your 23rd birthday is you can be this dominant for this long and still be south of 30. So I think he comes back. I think he wins the title. I think the fight with Anthony Johnson is one that the UFC will sort of hold out for before investigating whether John wants to go up and and sort of try his hand at heavyweight. The interesting thing with that is that I think we're in a point now, and I think either we talked about it on this show or, or I talked about it with Danny on a show, um, is that it's we're not in that period where super fights or guys moving up used to be like it was when Anderson Silva first went up to light heavyweight. He fought James Irvin, who was just a journeyman light heavyweight. They put it on spike. It it was a big deal because we wanted to see what Anderson Silva was like at light heavyweight and could he be as talented. But now it feels like anytime a champion talks about going up or, or there's the potential for them going up, they have to be thrust right into a championship, champion versus champion fight. And I don't know that that's necessarily the best thing for John if he does decide to go up to, to heavyweight. I would like to see him just test the waters. I'd like to see him fight sort of a Matt Mitrione, a, a Frank Mir, kind of somebody in that range that's experienced much bigger than him physically right now and, and when we see them in the cage normally, and then sort of decide whether that's what he's doing long term. Almost kind of like Calvin Gastelum being forced to middleweight. It was good to see him fight Nate Marquardt. We get an idea of what he can be in that division. 
but I don't know that he fits there the best. So I, that's that's my if I'm booking John Jones and I'm planning out his future, that's sort of how I, I see the next couple of years playing out. Yeah, the one thing with, with me, and I, I, yeah, you referenced it, and look, we he's got two brothers who are defensive linemen in the NFL. I think he certainly has the genes to carry another 20, 30 pounds, but he's such a technician and he relies so much on his athleticism and quickness. He'd really have to be a guy who would win a fight on points because even his wrestling skills, which I believe are underrated when you hear people talk about them, um, you know, I, I think it, it, I, I can't see him being able to take down a guy like Kane very easily. And then you've got, does he have knockout power? So I really think light heavy is where he fits. But I also know that if he if he beats Rumble, and let's say there's another fight with, uh, with Gustafson, I mean, maybe there's someone else coming along in the meantime. But otherwise, I mean, he's going to be, he's kind of cleaned out, out that division. That does bring me to another point on Gustafson. And I look, if we're talking about June for a fight with DC and then after that, but man, this guy can't afford to have another great showing in a, in a loss. I mean, at some point, Gustafson has to, you know, get some momentum back himself. I mean, if he had one more fight, let's say he wins it and then he fights John Jones again, I, you know, I don't care how good a performance it was or how much, how close he comes. It's like this guy just can't get over the hump. Yeah. He feels like a guy that, that they sort of need to put two or three fights in front of him before he gets to that championship level again, before he gets to facing the Daniel Cormier, Anthony Johnson, John Jones is of the division. Um, as much as he's had standout performances in defeat, they've been, they've been losses. And as we talked about after UFC 192, as great as he has looked in those two championship fights, he's one in three in his last four fights. So, pull back a little bit, get him in there in some, in some spots where he can very much win. He will enter as the favorite. You get him a couple almost confidence builders, almost sort of reminders of this is who I am. This is what I'm capable of. Very much like the Jimmy Manuel fight was for him following the fight with John Jones. A lot of people talked about immediate rematch. I thought booking him in with Jimmy Manuel was a great idea. It sucked for Jimmy Manuel, obviously. <laughs> guy that was undefeated on the way up. Um, didn't like it from that regard, but liked it for Alex. Because you get in there with a tough guy, a guy that's got knockout power, guy that hasn't been beaten, and you just remind yourself that I'm a cut above most of this division. And I think he needs two or three of those. I mean, we see it with the different fighters that are stuck in that lost to the champion twice situation like Joseph Benavidez at flyweight. What value is there for him of, of rush being rushed back into yet another fight with Demetrius Johnson when he can go out, stack up some victories, work on some stuff, approach each fight as sort of an audition for and, and a test drive for a future fight with DJ before just constantly getting thrown back into that mix where you get knocked down. And, and so I think that's, Ideally, for me, the way that that they go forward with Alex Gustafson. So I know you know Brandon Gibson a little bit, who's in Jones's camp. Uh, and this is not to take anything away from John Jones' ability, because um, I, again, I, his athleticism is what really got me hooked on on UFC. He was a guy as a young fighter that I started to see. Uh, you know, he was on a couple of undercards, and I thought, man, there's no one else I'm seeing who can fight like this. Uh, but I look at his camp. Spencer, and when you look at these fights, whether it's Gustafson or whether it's Cormier or, you know, the intriguing possibility of him moving up, 
It reminds me of when Sugar Ray Leonard fought, and I'll say this, lost to Roberto Duran because he decided to go toe-to-toe. There's something about Jones and his camp that are it's almost defiant. It's like, you expect me to do this? No, I am going to go right after your strengths. He did it against Cormier. He certainly did it against um, against Glover Teixeira, where people talked about the dirty boxing and in close. He almost likes to beat people at their own game. And that's what I'm thinking of if he's coming back after a year and a half from being out of the ring. Uh, I just believe his camp is too smart to not have him prepared. I'm sure DC is a fine technician as well, and his coaches are there for him and everything else. But it almost seems like John Jones is one step ahead of the guy he's fighting all the time. He does what people don't expect. <laughs> Do you think that's going to change at all? I don't. I, I think if anything, and, and this is kind of the scary part, and, and I included it in my piece that ran this week in the paper um, and is up on provincesports.com, that fight with DC they sort of talked about afterwards. Now John is going to move to Albuquerque and he's going to train full time. What people didn't know or, or maybe didn't talk about was that outside of fight camps, John was home in New York and he was hanging out doing his thing. And he'd never got like ridiculously crazy, you know, 60, 80 pounds out of shape, but he would let himself go a little and he'd come back to the gym and he'd get into work his way into fight shape and he'd work on stuff specific for, that coming fight he's now down there and he is now we've seen some of the instagram videos he's you know working with strength and conditioning coaches and and lifting and looks like he's put on a bunch of muscle and and i think coming back that sort of defiant prove i'm better than you where you're apparently great will only be emboldened even more like John is a student of this sport. He sits and studies tape. He works hand in hand with his coaches on finding little things that will work specific to each fight and each opponent, like the overhook on Glover Teixeira's arm where he kind of wrenched his shoulder. Might be a little bit of a dirty move, but it sure worked. It sure limited the the effectiveness of Glover Teixeira. And I think we only see more of that going forward because there will be so many more people lined up sort of waiting and hoping to see John Jones fail that this guy that, you know, has been defiant throughout his career and sort of teetered on the brink of good guy, bad guy, wanting to be kind of a little bit of both will just come out and, and be even more dominant will be even more impressive. And for me, the sort of asterisk to that is provided all the outside the cage crap is sorted out because that's still the little like wait and see for me is, is is has this been a legitimate wake-up call and now we're going to get john jones on the straight and narrow who is doing all the things that he's said about training full-time and and surrounding himself with the right people or is he going to say all of that and still be the guy that's you know testing positive for cocaine a month before the biggest fight of his career and, and getting in hit and run accidents. So technically and skill wise, I think he comes back and he's as dominant, if not more so, but it'll be the outside the cage stuff for me that, that will determine his ultimate fate. Yeah. Although I will say this, and there's no doubt that he's, he has been on the straight and narrow knowing that there's, he has to go stand before a judge, but you know, I would think not fighting, not being in a camp, being in Albuquerque, if he was going to mess up again, the opportunity has been there for him. 
you know, I could see that being more of an issue, maybe two, three down years down the road if he gets right. comfortable again. But right yep. now, he still seems to be in the zone. And I was going to ask you, and the reason I said, you know, he, he he seems to when you're putting together a game plan and you go, you know, how do you beat Daniel Cormier? And it's like, well, you don't want to get into a wrestling match with him. Daniel Cormier's never been taken down. And what does he do in the first round? Comes out and takes him down. Like that's, there's just this, tell me I can't do something and I'm going to do it. And sometimes that gets you in trouble. As I said with Sugar Ray Leonard, he went toe-to-toe with Roberto Duran and he didn't use all of his God-given quickness and footwork and everything else. So how do you beat John Jones? How, if you're DC going into this and going, no, hold on a second. I fulfilled this lifelong dream of winning the belt. I've already fought this guy. I learned a lot from him. I'm going to go out and I'm not giving this up. How do you, how do you attack John Jones? I think, I mean, to, to use the Anderson Silva answer, the only guy that's going to be John Jones is, is, is a clone of John Jones. Um, I mean, Greg Jackson predicted it. The only guy that was going to beat John Jones for the title and, and cost John, John Jones, the title was John Jones. Um, I think realistically it, it's got to be some of the stuff that we saw in the Alex Gustafson fight, it's got to be that collar tie and those uppercuts. Um, it's got to be the ability to mix in wrestling and and effectively, if not take John down because he struggled with that and he even struggled with that in the fight with Alex later in the fight, but at least make John carry your weight, make John defend, make John expel energy by you being on on the aggressive and you being the aggressor in that fight, much the same way that John did DC in their first fight, just weighing on him, just leaning on him. The initial takedown in the first round was to show you, I can take you down. The rest of it is here. I'm going to make you realize how strong I am, how heavy I am, how difficult it is just to get me off of you into a position where you can be effective. And I think DC has to employ some of that himself. He looked in that first fight like he was just hell-bent on, I need to be the guy that takes this guy down. Only Alex Gustafson has ever taken him down, and he kind of popped right back up. I'm a wrestler. I can put this guy on the mat. And he couldn't. And so I think he needs to mix things up a little bit and and show some of that variety that we saw in the fight with Gustafson. Go to the stuff that works. And and I mean, get in there and test John's chin. If you can get in close with him and, and land some of those uppercuts, obviously far easier said than done because John has the superior reach advantage and things like that and uses it really well. But for me, that's that's going to be what it is. It's going to – I don't think anybody's going to just come out and steamroll John Jones at any point. It's going to be 48-47, you win a split decision because um, I don't even – I. We don't know yet if anybody can knock him out, and and that's sort of the the question mark that still exists. But I think it's going to have to be a long, hard, dirty slog of a fight. So I know that there's so many variables, and and we you know we don't know really what's inside his head, whether he has had an epiphany and straightened out, uh, or really what his desires are. But your best guess as to the short and long term scenario for John Jones and how his career is going to go. Short term, I, I think, um, depending on how this, this New York thing comes out, that, that the UFC is trying to, to get into New York sort of through the back door of, of suing the government and they have an ISKA license for 
you know, April in, in Madison Square Garden. I think that might be a little quick. I do think short-term it's it's UFC 200 in Las Vegas, John Jones, Daniel Cormier. And then going for provided... No, but do you think in, he wins? Oh, I think he wins. I, I I truly believe that John Jones is the greatest fighter in the history of this sport. And the next three to five years will continue to prove that and bear that out. Because I just, I think, as you said, he could stick around light heavyweight and just absolutely dominate for for a while. I like his chances at heavyweight against a bunch of guys. Um, I don't know necessarily if that includes sort of the top three or four guys as of yet, but I'd really like to see it. And I think, as we talked about, he's that guy that says, tell me I can't do it and I'll prove to you that I can. I wouldn't be surprised if he says, you know what? I've done everything I could do at light heavyweight. I'm going up. He may even be the guy that says, I'll happily start at the bottom and just work my way up into that position to challenge for a title because it does take time and you do have to put on, you know, functional muscle and, and learn a little bit to fight a different way and, and maximize and utilize different strengths. But I think that's where we see him. And I, it, I, I think five years from now, if we have this conversation, we're talking about a guy that's, you know, 26, 27 and one and, and easily the greatest fighter of all time. So, I'd be curious to know the answer the next time you're speaking to Brandon Gibson. Um, they must see and know in training what it's all about because Jones pretty close to Frank Mears. actually had him in his, in his camp as a coach before. I know he trains regularly with Arlovsky and with Overeem who are, who are in the Albuquerque uh, camp as well. So they must, he obviously has an idea even in sparring of what it's like to, to take on guys who are that much heavier. Um, but you're right. I, I mean, I, if he even cleaned up his his outside image, Spencer, he I could even see him going the Rousey route. Do what you do, and then get into action stars or whatever. Because I I I, I know we can be a knucklehead, but I still find him charismatic. I, I I don't know. There's something about his personality which I just think people try and present him as this giant heel, and I don't think he is. I think he's a bit of a phony sometimes because you know he was a Nike guy. You've got to uphold a certain image with Nike, but. At, at the heart of it, I see him as being a bit of a kid. Well, and it, it's funny because the the reaction and the the interactions I've had with John are limited. Um, but I've always felt sort of the same way that there's like being down in Albuquerque a year ago for a media day where we're talking to everybody in the gym. And John's one of them as he was preparing for the fight with Glover Teixeira he's making jokes and he's having fun with it. And he's talking about, you know, the walkout that he's going to have and he's got a surprise and he really is just that big kid that's smiling and laughing about stuff and you can joke with him. And I think there are moments just like there are for almost anybody that, that ends up in the spotlight moments where he gets caught up in the spotlight and wanting to be all things to everybody. And he hasn't quite figured out, who he is and and who he's going to be. But I agree with you. I think there's, there's a, a charisma there and a, an interest there because we are interested in those guys that are not quite heroes, but not quite villains, sort of those guys that play both sides, almost the anti-hero. And I think John can be that guy. And I think going forward, it, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, when he decides to hang it up, he moves into that route and, and and goes that road. Well, I think we've uh, 
I think we've exhausted <laughs> all the John Jones storylines for now. So for, yeah, for now until until probably like you know next week we'll get a we'll get an interview from John and well that's it. And we'll have more to talk about. He he hasn't even really spoken, and that I think that's the issue. You know, he laid low. He even he even shut down his social media for a while. He's back on a little bit, not as much as he was before, but. Um, you know, until he answers some questions and gives us some fuel again, we're all just guessing, but I think that's great for the sport as we've talked about. Um, I don't care what sport it is. You're, you're driven and attached to the stars. And I think the UFC has the situation. We've, we've mentioned it before. You've got a Rousey, certainly Conor McGregor, although we're waiting to see what happens with that. But the real dominant sellable, as you would call household names, aren't really bubbling, bubbling them up like you'd expect. Um, if I look at the entire roster, I mean, one of the reasons they push Conor McGregor so much is because he gets them on SportsCenter. Robbie right. Lawler, you and I have met him. Fantastic guy. Great fighter. His last two years, just absolutely so compelling. But you don't hear from Robbie Lawler in between fights. And when you do, it's not a big deal. You know, the heavyweight right. division, who's the personality you hang on there that, you know, Mike Tyson, baddest man on the planet. When you're looking at that, Jones is one of the few guys who can slide in there and do it. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's going to be sort of one of the things that's going to be most intriguing with this, because I do, I do believe and I do agree with you that he's somebody the UFC needs as another one of those stars because you have, you know, some Brazilian champions that aren't necessarily accessible for, for North American audiences and North American media. You have guys like Robbie Lawler, as you said, also Demetrius Johnson, great dude, just not the personality that's going to suddenly pop up on sports center because he's saying some crazy shit about somebody. He's going to, you know, have his Twitch channel up and be video gaming with people and, and connect with fans that way. And so Chris Weidman, the, the Chris Weidman, Luke Rockhold winner, I think they have the opportunity to move into that sort of big star stratosphere. Luke Rockhold is a great personality. I think Chris Weidman has the potential to be the UFC version of Tom Brady, just the all-American, all this dude does is win kind of dude. But John is is very much a part of the the plan and, and part of the needed star grouping going forward so it'll be interesting to see how quickly the ufc gets back behind john jones once he does officially sort of get booked and get back working towards a fight all right spencer let's uh end the john jones talk there for now <laughs> and let's move into our next feature fight of the week what do you have for this so I write a column for UFC.com called The Ten. It comes out at the start of every month, sort of breaking down the ten best fights or my pick for the ten best fights going forward with the month ahead. Because we're just at the start of it, we don't have an event this week, I thought I would pick sort of my my sneaky favorite of the month as the fight that I wanted to talk about. This is also going to be, people listening, where you get the opportunity to enter our giveaway for UFC A Visual History, courtesy of the fine folks of DK Books. So what you're going to need to do is jump on Twitter, obviously follow me, um, respond to this. Basically, our fight, of, our fight of the week is my fight of the month, and it's a bantamweight contest between Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera next week in Sao Paulo, Brazil. So hit me up on Twitter with the participants in my fight of the week this week. And hashtag UFC giveaway. 
Uh, we will do a draw next week. We will announce the winner on the show, and then the fine people of DK Books will ship you out a copy of UFC A Visual History. Um, for me, this fight is one of those ones that we talk all the time about fights that kind of slip under the radar, up-and-coming guys that people should be paying attention to. And this is one that absolutely falls into that category. Pedro Munoz has been on a weird suspension um, following his fight in Nova Scotia last October. He was suspended by the commission out there for an over-the-counter, something that he took over-the-counter that he believed had been cleared. The announcement didn't come out until a few months ago, but but he's back in action. He fights next weekend. He's a guy that, for me, I always looked at as a potential contender in this division. 29 years old, trains at Black House with a great group of guys there, Anderson Silva, Leoto Machida, everybody that has come through there. His only loss of his career is to Rafael Asensao, who is currently injured, but one of the top contenders in that division, the last man to beat current champion, TJ Dillashaw. So Munoz becomes an automatic part of it for me because I'm excited to see him return. But then he's facing a guy in Jimmy Rivera who tried to get into the Ultimate Fighter house, uh, lost in the elimination round to Dennis Bermudez, was actually beating him through the first round. And then Bermudez sort of roared back and, and beat him. Jimmy Rivera got his chance to debut in Scotland, came out and lit up Marcus Brimage in 90 seconds. Um, Hasn't lost since the second fight of his career. He's not, he's 17 and one now. A 26 year old sort of East Coast guy, t- Team Tiger Shulman. I think this is going to be an absolute barn burner of a fight. I think the winner becomes sort of in that group of young bantamweights moving up. Um, regardless of who wins, they join another guy from their area. So if Pedro Munoz wins, he joins fellow Brazilian Thomas Almeida as a guy moving up. If Rivera wins, he joins fellow sort of East Coast, New York, New Jersey product, Aljamain Sterling. I think this is a phenomenal fight that with everything that's on the calendar for this month, a lot of which will be sucked up by the Ronda Rousey hype, it's going to slide under the radar. I'm pretty sure it's on the fight pass prelims, but it is absolutely a fight that I am amped to see. It will be in my my forthcoming edition of the 10 and it is your chance to get UFC a visual history. So hit me up with that information. Anybody listening on Twitter at Spencer kite hashtag UFC giveaway. And we will take care of that next week. You know, we, we have, we have talked about, uh, and I know we'll get to booking a little bit later, but as you said that this is a, when you have these kind of events, um, there are guys like you, this is, and this is the value of having experts who know a little bit more about him and tell him this is what you need to watch for because in two, three years, this is going to be a guy that you'll be excited about on our pay-per-view. Well, and, and that's the thing for me. And, and tried talking about that, you know, coming off of the Fight Pass show over the weekend on the blog on Keyboard Kimura, just saying, like, this is the way for me that they need to book those shows and, and sort of some of the way that we need to as media for one. Like, I understand that. You know, Ronda Rousey drives content. Conor McGregor drives traffic. Um, And so everybody having the video and and feed from Ronda's media day yesterday being the dominant story. I get that. But we also have fights coming up, you know, 10 days from now in Sao Paulo, Brazil. There's a huge story there with Vitor Belfort returning. There's a bunch of young kids, as I said, Thomas Almeida and, and Pedro Munoz, Jimmy Rivera fighting on this card like it's a it's a sneaky good card for a fight night event and we sort of lose track at times i think of 
of talking about these guys on the way up and talking about some of the fighters that, you know, you need to pay attention to and you need to build interest in. As much as losing Dustin Poirier and Joe Duffy at the 11th hour last weekend sucked, it was a great opportunity for Lewis Smolka and, and Patty Houlihan to get a moment in, this, in the spotlight. Lewis Smolka made the most of it, came out, looked great in getting a win, and now becomes a guy that you're interested in seeing or you at least have a connection with the next time he comes out, which is sort of what we're doing here. Like People want to talk about, oh, Conor McGregor became this overnight sensation and rocket and the UFC pushed him. He was on Fight Pass or I think on Facebook actually for his first fight. And so we only got behind him after we got that initial exposure. What what would have happened if more people were talking about him before that fight? Would there have been even more? I know, you know, Ariel Hawani had him on the MMA hour and that sort of helped bolster some of it. It became the people's main event for that show. Um, but these are the things we need to do. And so I think talking about fights like this one next weekend, Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera, talking about these up-and-comers, giving using Fight Pass events as an opportunity to showcase some of these younger guys rather than, you know, putting them behind two or three bigger fights just has so much greater long-term impact than having Dustin Poirier and Joe Duffy fight on that card where they could very easily be on Fox or very easily round out a really stacked pay-per-view, which is kind of what we all want anyways, if we're going to shell out 60 bucks. Well, let's, let's, take a look at that then you know we sort of morph these two things i know you wanted to talk in detail you just talked about the fight pass uh, or sorry the fight in uh in dublin and injuries impact that but and as we look you just we cut, took 45 minutes talking about john jones and how they might put him in a, against a an opponent to open an arena because you're using him to sell a pay-per-view but this is our championship rounds as we call it sort of our last last segment but yeah, our next event, um, and these are tricky. I get it because they have to be on TV, and you, you know, Fox is investing a lot in this, and they want people to sit down and be able to to actually go. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to devote some time to that. And this is an insane time for sports. I mean, every Saturday night now, there's there's marquee college football games. We know that you've got hockey World Series on right now. Fantastic. That'll be done by the time this comes about. But uh, there's a lot of competition out there for eyeballs. We got Belfort and Dan Henderson still fighting. Um, you know, they're the name. They're going to try and hook people into that. But there's a lot of other guys on that card where if it's for free, you need to kind of educate yourself because that's what I always look at at a pay-per-view. I know there's an element through work where I have to buy it. And you can watch a great fight and go, man, that was fantastic. I really like that guy. You're always going to get a new discovery. But I'm not sure that there's enough um, – that the UFC does a good enough job booking these events to build new personalities when you're still going for a Dan Henderson here. And that's sort of the tough part is is you need to have that name that draws you in, that name that casual fans are interested in, that guy that you can put on sort of the commercials that run at great length last week during the, the show from Dublin promoting this event. But for me, the key would be instead of having the poster where it's just the four guys that people may be familiar with, so Dan Henderson, Vitor Belfort, and then the co-main Glover Teixeira and Pat Cummins – this is where Thomas Almeida needs to be promoted. This is where Gilbert Burns and, and Rashid Magomedov, which is a great lightweight fight, 
needs to be promoted. This is where a guy like Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera need to be promoted. Johnny Case, who has looked good since coming over, since since debuting in the UFC, need to be promoted because those are the guys that, you know, Vitor Belfort and Dan Henderson aren't long for this world. I know Dan Henderson has talked about wanting to have a rematch with Jones and wanting this fight and that fight. He's in his mid-40s. He's, he's not going to continue doing this for that much longer. And so you need to start, to me, as early as you can, identifying the guys that have this upper limit potential and the, these guys that have this championship potential and promoting them to the hilt. I mean, Thomas Almeida, for me, being the third fight on this is great, but we're 10 days away and I haven't heard very much about hey this undefeated kid that's 20 and 0 is coming back and he's fighting at home in his backyard in sao paulo after getting to fight in las vegas that he loved i talked to him last week and we'll have a story next week in the paper about it but we haven't seen it yet in the in the mma media which which sort of influences the conversation amongst the mma community and to me that's a mistake and and sort of a, a shortcoming where we kind of come up short. And yes, people will talk about Thomas Almeida next week as we get a little closer to this fight and stuff doesn't come up. But the UFC has a way of sort of sabotaging themselves sometimes where events get overshadowed by news that comes out in the couple days before or they're because their schedule is the way it is. They're always having to promote sort of one or two events in advance or just focus on those big ones. And I get it. There's a massive pay-per-view in a colossal stadium in Melbourne the next week, but you're missing an opportunity to promote some of these guys that have future potential and are going to be contenders and stars for you down the road. And it really just feels like there needs to be almost a reset of, okay, before each event, going into each event, we need to identify the guys that we really need to be talking about and use whatever channels we have to talk about them so people know, okay, outside of these guys that we already know, the main event, Vitor Belfort, Dan Henderson, here's two or three fighters on this card that we think have elite upside that you're going to want to know after this fight or you're going to hear about this week and going forward, so pay attention. Well, it, okay, so, the, <laughs> it, I mean, it's awesome to have uh, good young prospects to look at because we talk about some of these divisions in particular you know, when you look at heavyweight or light heavy, it's if you look at the bottom half of the top 10, there aren't guys that you can see, oh, yeah, in two years, that guy has a great shot to be champ. I think you're seeing this that, okay, you've got a top 10, but there seems to be a huge gulf somewhere in those rankings. But And injuries injuries play into that so much. I, I look at, uh, you know, one weight class in particular, and there's two fighters that I absolutely love watching, but it's like they, they just don't exist anymore. And that's, you know, that's Anthony Pettis. And um, and Nurmagomedov. Now I see that they're both back in action. Nurmagomedov first fight since what April? April t- 2014 was his last fight. So he, assuming he doesn't get hurt between now and then, he gets back in the ring in in December. And Pettis is back in in January. But these are good names and great fighters to watch. But they've just seem they seem like they've been gone so long. I know Pettis not so much, um, because his was a more recent injury. But man, I'll tell you that's that is a really talented weight class. And you got a couple of guys who, man, it just seems like we haven't seen them forever. And that to me is where sort of pushing and, and promoting some of these other talents. It feels to me like the UFC always kind of hones in on six, eight, ten guys and says, 
this is who we're promoting. So Anthony Pettis, when he was the champion, he was on Wheaties boxes. He was in commercials. He was one of the Reebok sponsored athletes. You could see him everywhere. And since he's lost that belt and, and been sidelined, obviously not fighting is going to take, take you out of the spotlight a little bit, but you don't feel that you wouldn't, to me, you wouldn't feel as much of that. Oh my God, there's nobody really fighting. And there's, we miss these guys so much if you're invested in more than those six or eight, 10 guys. And so I'm in the same boat as you. Like I can't wait for Anthony Pettis to come back and fight Eddie Alvarez. I think that's going to be an absolute slobber knocker to use the Jim Ross term. Um, Habib Nurmagomedov, I'm knocking on wood that he makes it to his fight with Tony Ferguson. Cause I think that is a perfect booking. Speaking of sort of comeback fights and tune up fights, um, it's a great litmus test for a guy that's been off for a long time and a great opportunity for Tony Ferguson to, to maybe pull the upset and put himself in a championship fight. But I think some of that, you know, longing for the guys we know can be mitigated if we know a few more guys, if there are a few more people we're talking about. Like, it's crazy to me, and I know I've said his name about a dozen times already in this segment, but Thomas Almeida is a guy to me that I don't understand why more people aren't super excited about a guy in his early 20s that's 20-0 and 0, that has only gone to a decision, I think, twice in his career. He's already number eight in the division, in a division that needs young talent on his way up. Like, this is a guy that, to me, should have been promoted from the day he arrived in the UFC, just pushed to the maximum possible he has looked great thus far through his first three fights. I've seen the last two live, uh, one in Montreal, one in Las Vegas. He's an absolute killer, and yet outside of hardcore fans and people that cover the sport, nobody really knows who he is. So it feels like a lost opportunity where one more win, two more wins, this is a guy that's going to be in a title fight or fighting you know, some of the bigger names in the division. That's a tough time to get people interested in, and hyped up for that fighter well it, yeah i mean it's i and look the ufc has its marketing way and it's uh, it's obviously quite effective but i and i know sometimes they can have beef with personalities and it's you're kind of dealing with independent contractors this isn't like the dallas cowboys trying to protect greg hardy because he's going to help them win no matter how big an asshole he is um if the frankly, if Dana White doesn't like you, you're gone. There's tons of double standards when you see how he's treated certain fighters like Paul Daly versus some other guys that he lets get away with a lot of stuff. But it's nice to see these other names because, as I said, you've got two hugely talented guys in Nurmagomedov and Pettis who can just be gone forever. I mean, I, look, I love Nurmagomedov. I love his <laughs> his personality, I, and he, I just think he's been dominant when you look at his record and where he was rolling. I mean. I mean, he already, he already has a win over the current champion. and That, that was his last fight. So, yeah, that was his last fight. That makes it so much more that you want to see him come back. Yeah, but you just can't count on it. And that's where I do think they need to do a better job on Fight Pass or Ultimate Fighter or any of your other marketing tools that you can use to get these names out there because there's certainly a lot of good talent down there. And that's the thing is that, you know, you, you think about the things you can control and you think about the things that you can't and you can't control when guys are going to get hurt. And, and whenever a fight falls apart, Twitter lights up and social media lights up and people say, well, they should have done a better job stacking this card and putting more fights on this card. And there should be more people that we know. Well, shouldn't it like, isn't the easier thing to do? And the more, I mean, 
responsible thing to do. Just try to make there be more people that you know. Like that to me makes more sense for them as a for the UFC as a company than just taking the 25 biggest names and always trying to spread them out amongst these cards so that people are always satisfied. Like, well, I'll also build, say- build more names. Yeah. And, and and one of the ways to do that, and look, health is obviously the yep. major the major concern for these guys, even long term health. You want to look after yourself. But I look at guys like Ben Henderson and and um, Cowboy Cerrone, who at every opportunity have stepped up when another guy have got hurt and go, yeah, I'll do it. Yep, I'll move up a weight yeah. class and to fill yourself on, on the card that way. I mean, I I know you've you've told me stories about the issues around Uriah Hall before, but to see him come in and fight now, he's fighting on the Rousey pay-per-view Saturday, uh, November 14th. And he ha- we talked about this last week. He had that spectacular knockout, um, it, you know, just, uh, what was that, a month ago in an event, and now he's back fighting again. The more you're in front of the cameras and getting results, I think people will hook on to you because there's so many anonymous guys, especially you talk about fight pass or early prelims, you know, you might have right. it on, but you're busy doing other things. You want that highlight thing. And if, if it's possible for you, if your last fight wasn't that taxing and you get to jump in, I think it's a smart strategy. That's why I was happy to see Hall do this, taking on Robert Whitaker, because, you know, you've pointed out here, here's a guy with a ton of talent and there may be issues around his mentality or his temperament, which appeared to be holding him back, but maybe he's finally got it now. Well, and, and that's the thing. This is a huge opportunity for him. And, and I agree. It's a it's a great decision career-wise for him. And I mean, the the, the issue with Uriah Hall is, is just he's been bristly with the media. He doesn't like doing media. He doesn't like talking to the media. He doesn't – he's not a guy that wants to play the media game. He's not a guy that, that rec- sees any value in talking to the media, which is crazy because we help get your name out there and then people are interested in your fights. But then he goes out and he has this great victory over Gegard Mousasi, jumps into this fight, and as you said, now he becomes a guy that is on a massive pay-per-view that is going to do probably well over a million buys, I would I would assume. Suddenly people are back talking to about him again, and if he if he puts together another win, it's three in a row, and now maybe this guy that we all got hooked into on The Ultimate Fighter is finally living up to his potential that sets up 2016 to be the best year of Uriah Hall's career, at least from a position on fight cards and an opportunity standpoint. I mean, even stuff like Ben Rothwell, who was pissed off about having to still go to Dublin or pissed off that he was going to Dublin um, when his fight with Stipe Miocic gets, gets submarined and then has to see Stipe Miocic get booked in a fight with Andre Arlovsky while he's over in Dublin. He was great this past weekend of putting himself out there and being as omnipresent as possible, which gets you continuing to talk about Ben Rothwell, who otherwise outside of, you know, this, his last couple of fights, we hadn't been talking about. Like we had, he had just become sort of a guy that fell into the background in the heavyweight division. Now he seems to be out there putting himself out there, being vocal, being engaged and suddenly he's the guy that you're kind of rooting for because you feel like he's getting screwed over and you want to see him get some of those opportunities. That's the part of this that, and I mean, the UFC is very much involved in that, in getting him to Dublin, in putting him on camera during the show, in making him available to the media. Those are the things that you see for me. And I go, they can do this with more guys. There are more people that are capable of being in front of the media and being engaging and being out there it doesn't have to just be the same rotation 
of fighters over and over. And, and I think we're seeing more fighters even understand that and, and recognize that as much as they may not like doing media, it certainly helps their career going forward. Well, and honestly, Spencer, I think that those are the names that kind of make make some money here. And the reason I say that is, you know, if you're looking at the next pay-per-view, and okay, you're intrigued with Rousey Home, but you're like, is this going to be another 30-second title <laughs> fight? And Hunt and Silva are fighting. Well, it was a great one last time, so I know I'm going to see a war with that, but I'm not sure I want to spend the money. Well, then, you know about Uriah Hall? That extra guy, that third fight is usually the tipping point for people making the decision of whether they want the pay-per-view. If it's a must main event, absolutely everyone jumps in on it. But the ones that people maybe have some doubts about or value or do I want to spend that money, it's literally when you get into this third fight that really is intriguing you, well, then that's what you do. And by seeing Ben Rothwell out there and saying that kind of stuff, well, when Ben Rothwell does get a fight, if it's on a pay-per-view, that might be the one that you know forces you to give up that 80 bucks. Well, and that's the thing is, is it usually is that that co-main or even that swing fight on the main card that really does sort of decide it for you. If you get three great fights, you're probably buying it. If you get one and then you're kind of like, I mean, look at UFC 191, the co-main event, Andre Arlovsky and Frank Mir. Yeah, there's some nostalgia to it. There's some interest to it, but it wasn't great. It didn't have that. Oh, my God, I have to see it. So for me, looking at UFC 193, two championship fights. I'm in automatically when you give me two championship fights. Then you give me a rematch of one of the greatest heavyweight fights I've ever seen. Then you give me, as you said, Uriah Hall, who's coming off a great victory. I'm very intrigued by Robert Whitaker and have been for a while. Love that he's back up at at middleweight. And so for me, it becomes a no-brainer. I'm sure there are going to be people that want to argue otherwise and, and aren't as sold on it. But you're right. It's It's sort of getting people invested in as many people as they can and i think the ufc knows it and there's some struggles to to figuring out how to do it i it always feels weird when i sort of advocate for the media having a role in that and i don't mean it to sound like we're this promotional arm of the ufc but we can talk about more than just the six people that drive the most traffic on our websites because they are fighting and they are important and maybe two years from now they're going to be the people driving traffic on our websites. So it's, to me, it's it's sort of the the get out in front of as many people as you can and and see who hits, see who connects. There's no telling what's going to make. Like if you had told me two years ago that Ben Rothwell would be a, a massive fan favorite because he's got this weird maniacal laugh that he's trying to do now as his thing and he's just going to you know lay it bare on social media – I'd have said you were crazy because Ben Rothwell wasn't engaging. He didn't do media that well. He wasn't really somebody that was interesting. Now he's super interesting, and I can't wait to talk to him again. Well, yeah, it's <laughs> it, it, it comes down to it. you have to have that emotional connection uh, with people, and and whether you cheer for or against them, I think that we see that in all sports, right? So it just makes sense that you do that in the UFC. I mean. There are guys in the UFC that I like to see lose because I just don't like them, <laughs> and that's what it's all about. I mean, standard is pro wrestling, heel and babyface, or however you want to, however you want to paint it. That's what convinces you to give up the money. I can see a great highlight from someone, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I care about the fighter. But give me a reason to care, and I'll buy the pay per view. Exactly, and I I think the UFC is is getting better with it. Um, I mean, obviously, we've seen them jump right on board with Sage Northcutt. From the minute they signed him, um, they've done a good job with Paige Van Zant, who, just a note, no longer fighting Joanne Calderwood, now fighting Rose Namajunas, 
um, in December, which to me, not a better fight, but a maybe a more intriguing fight because I think Rose is is equally good in the scrambles, so it's going to be super interesting to see that fight. Um, but they've done a good job with, with people like that, getting on board early and sort of promoting them. I'd like to see them do it a little more with some of these other guys, but but we're getting there. We are, and I think we've got to the end. We've kept people here long enough, one of our longest ones ever, but the John Jones decision and all the follow-up from that brings us there. So uh, don't forget about Spencer's giveaway, and you can follow Spencer on Twitter at Spencer Kite, K-Y-T-E. Come to read his stuff at the province at keyboard Kimura at theprovince.com. Anything else you got for this week, Spencer, before we go? Just a slate of interviews today, getting uh, getting some of November knocked out. Going to talk with Jesse Katz of Roots of Fight as well, local company doing big things in the apparel industry in, in MMA. Um, look for that in a future edition of the province. Awesome. Thanks, everyone, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com. Follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Keyboard Kimura.